Welcome to Famous with Kate and Liz. We've got a special episode for you guys. A little one-off, which we love. We love a one-off. Liz, what are we doing this week, which everybody has already read on the description of this podcast episode, but please inform our people, what are we covering? Yeah, well, we are in the middle of awards season. Um, Last weekend was the Grammys. We record on Sundays. We're actually like recording the night of the Grammys, but you're listening to this on Wednesday or whenever after that date. Um, (laughs) We are all, you know, just so sick of the previous week's award show shenanigans. Um, Things are getting crazy and interesting. And so we just decided to do a one-off in honor of the Grammys um, about famous songs because... A lot of times they've got a good story to tell. Yeah, I think so many songs have like meanings that you're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, no idea. No idea of what a song is meaning. You're like singing it, singing it, love the song. No idea what it even means. Or like, you know, crazy, um, just crazy stories behind the lyrics of songs. Basically, it's like, Super interesting to look up online if you want to go down kind of like a rabbit hole, have a little rabbit hole moment, um, which we all love to do every now and then, right? Yeah. Um, I think we all like at some point say like circa high school, like late junior high wanted to work for Rolling Stone, you know, like everyone like- A hundred percent. Like- a hundred percent everyone loves music you know it's the great unifier so uh we just had to do like a one-off episode on famous songs uh we each picked you know definitely some very well-known songs but you may not know the meanings behind them or how they came to be so um I have a couple angry lady singers which is always fun you know (laughs) yep I got I got one of those too I got one of those too um yeah love a good like female anthem for sure yeah um yeah okay so oh also under file this under housekeeping you can always contact us um best way is on um I was gonna say podcast best way is on podcast no <laughs> instagram oh my god this is gonna be this is gonna go great guys um uh, okay so you can dm us or comment on one of our posts uh Instagram at famous Kate and Liz, Kate with a C. Email us famous Kate and Liz at gmail.com. Again, Kate with a C because why would that Kate be with a K? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so we love hearing from you guys and um our millions and millions of listeners. We love each and every one of you. Tell us your thoughts on the Grammys. We always love to know who you think was like best dressed. So send us some messages and also let us know songs that like, I don't know. I think you're going to talk about a song where like you learned about the meaning and you were just kind of like, oh shit. I didn't know it was like that deep or, you know, uh, let us know if there's like songs like that, that have stuck with you. Yeah. And that's like exactly what I was going to say too about, this song that I'm covering, and I guess I'll just get right into it now. Um, Go right for it. Like the first song that I learned the meaning of and then was like, oh, songs are like deeper than just like the lyrics, you know, like, or 
if you li- if you hear the lyrics a certain way or what you know like I was like oh songs actually have like meanings it's not just whatever words they're saying um necessarily so oh I did just want to say that I'm dedicating this to my dad <laughs> because he's the first one who told me about the cryptic meaning of this song and kind of got me more curious into like dad's okay, would for that I have a few yes. songs that like I definitely remember just dad combos with <laughs> yeah and then I'm thinking about like the time this came out and I'm like my dad was totally stoned like listening to this song <laughs> you know like being like oh my god this is like so deep <laughs> yeah we're so, doing, like, love that. a true American classic I think um everybody's probably heard the song right I mean let's yeah uh, let's get into it Okay, so I'm covering American Pie by Don McLean from 1971. So, oh God, do I have to sing? Should I sing a Also the same song as That'll Be the Day That They Die, which I did not realize (laughs) until about five minutes ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Of any songs. (laughs) Yes, the song is in fact called American Pie, but I think most people know it as a song that's like, um, you know, well, so it goes... Uh, oh my god I don't want to sing <laughs> I'm like so nervous I feel like I'm at the Grammys right now and everybody's listening to me um but it, it basically says uh bye bye Miss American Pie drove the Chevy to the levee but the levee was dry some good old boys drinking whiskey and rye this will be the day that I die blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> um and then it goes on to say like about the day the music died which is um like I think one of the most famous lines and you're like the day the music died like what day was that I don't know what are they talking about so my dad of course being a man of the times told me um about what the actual day the music died meant and like what actual day that was so um February 3rd, 1959 is known as the day the music died because um, a couple months before that, um, in January 1959, 22-year-old Buddy Holly, uh, you probably have heard of him, had a new chart-topping hit dominating American airwaves, and the young Texan embarked on a Midwestern string of ballroom and auditorium shows called the winter dance party so he's just like going out on tour like I'm gonna be doing this winter thing there's nothing ever to do in the winter let me take like a midwest winter tour sounds great love love this for him like sounds amazing um so the tour began on January 23rd in Milwaukee during one of the coldest winters on record uh the musicians which included Waylon Waylon Jennings Richie Valens and JP Big Bopper Richardson. <laughs> uh, they traveled in an unheated bus that frequently broke down. Mm. So, randomly, like one night, um, Buddy Holly chartered a plane to get to the next gig because he's probably like, I'm fucking sick of breaking down on the side of the road for hours, freezing to death. Like, mm. I'm raking in, like, yeah, some huge crowds. I, like, now I can, like, Charter a plane. That's a charter plane. Yeah. Yeah. Baller, like he would be at the Grammys. So 
Um, okay, so he decided to charter a plane, blah, 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 blah. Um, so he and his tour partners, Richie Valens and J.P. Richardson, were basically ripped from the skies by wintry conditions six miles, so, like, not that far from where they took off um, in Clear Lake, Iowa. And um, the pilot, Roger Peterson, also was in the plane. He was he was riding it. So all four died upon impact at 12.55 a.m. on February 3rd, 1959. Um, Holly's bassist, Waylon Jennings, right? He was the other, like, main guy in their band. He would be haunted, like, literally for the rest of his life. I don't know if he's still alive. He's still being haunted, I'm sure. Um, as he casually gave up his seat to uh, J.P. Richardson, uh, just, I'm like, sure. right before takeoff, because I guess, like, he was sick. So he was like, fine, you can take my seat. You know, these are, like, little tiny planes. You can't, you can Not only it. bring so many people. Like, they're very strict about, like, the weight and everything. So, um... I guess he was like, all right, fine, take my seat, which is like, oh, survivor's guilt much. Yeah. Like, my gosh. Jesus. Yeah, super, super dark. So another super dark thing, um, his wife was pregnant and she ended up having a miscarriage after learning about his death on the news the next day. Which one's wife was pregnant? Oh, Buddy Holly's wife. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Oh my so, god, I, I didn't know that about Yeah. This. And they were so young too. Like Yeah, uh, 23 you said or 22? 22. 22. Oh yeah. My god. <clears throat> yeah, so since then they actually started passing laws like to notify the families of the victims before the press because They didn't do that before then. Oh my god. No. I don't think so. Wow. And I mean, he was a huge I mean, just the month before, he was topping the charts you know so he was like everyone was talking about him um he was like the sensation of the time so it was like crazy news for this horrible tragedy to happen um and you know I mean we still have stuff like that happening where thing you know there's like video footage from people's cell phones that happened just a second before of like some major tragic event and they're just showing it on the news like yeah okay there's people like in these videos and mm -hmm. if their family sees this you know it's just like just something to think about if you were ever god forbid like in a situation like that that would be yep, the worst way to find out uploaded right now right away but uh, right. wow oh my gosh yeah that's so tragic and I feel like randomly Tori Spelling found out her dad died because she was like at a nail salon or something. And like oh, saw really? it. oh, wow. Yeah. She either like saw it on the TV or like her friend had texted her like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry about your dad. They so saw then she like checked and was like, oh, great. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Which is like so fucked and totally different. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's my Tori Spelling tangent for the evening. So you're welcome. <laughs> Appreciate one of those. You know that. Yes. 
Uh, okay, so it was obviously a super sad day in rock and roll history and uh, something that impacted future musicians like Don McLean, which mm-hmm. is like the person we're actually here to talk about. Um, hey. But Buddy Holly was his musical icon growing up. So this was like, he was like the man. Think of like Justin Bieber for mm. girls like 10 years ago. Or like, <laughs> you know a what I mean? like pain, you know, he had a lot of yeah. influence. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Very, very similar, um, you know, following. So, um, okay. So he obviously felt this day in history in a super profound way, right? Like this is this guy's biggest hero and he dies in such a tragic way. So in his song, American Pie, Don McLean talks about the day the music dies as kind of the end of an innocent, youthful, good era. And it's like kind of the start of a new darker day for America. So he's basically saying like everything that happened after the day the music died with Buddy Holly dying, like everything is downhill. We are spiraling. From here yeah, on I out. mean, like, they're getting into wars, you know, at this mm-hmm. time, and, like, society is changing, like, there's so much, like, counterculture, like, movements exactly. happening. Yeah, so. Exactly, like, exactly. I can totally see the parallels of, like, the death of innocence, you know. Yep, yeah, totally, and I think that's why people like my dad, and I'm sure your dad <laughs> was listening to this, too, um, oh. yeah, he, like, they, they're like, yeah. Uh, what was that? I got the same talk as you. <laughs> yes, yes, I bet you did. I bet you did. So, um, you know, they're like feeling this shit. It's it is like the time and they're listen there's so much happening. I mean, the six the 60s in just America alone is like the most insane decade. Knock on wood. I don't want to be more insane than that, although. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Present day, present day is looking pretty grim. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why we're here doing this, to take our little minds away from all that's going on. Oh, okay, don't, don't make me tangent, because I will. <laughs> oh, okay, so moving on. Um, Don McLean was just 24 years old when he wrote the song American Pie. Um, he says... I didn't see America improving intellectually or politically. It was going steadily downhill, and so was the music. Um, And there was a little over a decade for McLean to take stock of what was happening from that fateful day in 1959 to when he released the song. So the song is actually written in or released in 1971. So he literally had like that whole 60s decade to kind of like. Mm-hmm. see what was going on and really reflecting like he took like 11 years 12 yeah, to years to reflect it. on that yeah mm-hmm. so and and he was growing up during that time and witnessing and relating to a lot of this stuff going on just like we were saying about our dads mm-hmm. at the time like they're living in this time like yeah it's really just like we're questioning like such a bookend moment, you know, like it's mm-hmm. this happened and then things changed and then this happened, you know, and he's living in that change part. Exactly. Exactly. And there is 
literally a fuckton, which is an actual unit of measurement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's so, so much. much on. <laughs> there's so much written about like the dissection of each line and word from this song. Like dissertations are written about it. But, like there is endless websites. I could research this to the day I die. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, to this day, Don McLean doesn't give any answers, which I think is why people can still be talking about it. Like, what is the meaning of the song? What is, I mean, they literally look at ev- every word, every single word in this song is taken apart um, and looked into. So, He's just like, suckers, you'll never know. <laughs> yes, yes. And well, the, like, some famous things are like, um, the jester and the king mm-hmm. in the song are meant to be Bob Dylan and Elvis Presley, which uh, I think the king uh-huh. is too, like, <clears throat> spot well, on. Yeah. For him. Yeah. So I don't know if he really does mean Elvis in that way, but he's basically calling Bob Dylan, like, such a loser basically. right I mean a jester is like a, a joker he's the joker like um and I think one of Bob Dylan's like I think his idol was also Buddy Holly oh okay so I'm not sure but I think there's some sort of like rivalry I don't know I think that could be like interesting to look into like the actual relationship between Don McLean and Bob Dylan um but famous yes it could be yeah I really have to look into that because that was a really interesting time like in the world not just in music um okay so I was like looking for something kind of I guess more random about what the song could be about so I found something like super crazy so when Don McLean was 15 years old he had a premonition that his father was going to die. Okay. Yeah. So like in he a dream was, or something? I, it, I don't know. It just says premonition. So I don't know if he it just flashed right. before okay. him. Like, I, I don't know. So he ran to tell his grandmother because he was like, oh, my God, I just had like a premonition of my dad dying. And she said, quote, don't be ridiculous, Donnie. Why would you say such a thing? Um. And he said, because it's going to happen. And a few days later, his father dropped dead right in front of him. My God. Yeah. So um, he said, I saw how he looked. He turned green. I didn't know what I was going to do without him. He was the king, the boss. He knew everything. So like 15 years old. Yeah how to impact him you know it's tragic no matter what what how old you are but a 15 year old boy losing their dad who they think is like the man is so traumatic um yeah I mean right when you probably really need a father figure too you know at that age yeah totally so um, you know, a lot of what I read was comparing 
this day in his own history with the day the music died, Mm. um, which according to my horrible calculations, you know, I love math, um, both happened around roughly the same time period. So within a couple of years, he lost his like idol Mm. and then he lost his dad who was like, obviously like his real idol. Right. So two huge influential things in his life. Yeah. Close together. Yeah. And there is a great article, um, in the guardian written by Rob Walker. He interviews him like a couple years ago and, um, it goes a little more into detail, like, you know, kind of more of his background. Um, but he, there's a quote from Don McLean in it saying, Writing a song that everyone on earth knows shouldn't make you resentful, but you better have a lot inside you because it's going to get sucked out. So I know. I wonder if he's performing it now <laughs> or like, I don't. Yeah. Later on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but he, I guess he lives in like Palm desert and he's just like an old angry dude. Um, <laughs> just like, well, and, um, So another quote from this article that I read, which might kind of give you a clue as to why he's just like an angry old man. Um, He says, this is like the only thing he's said about his own song lyrics. Um, He says, quote, all my stuff is about loss and a certain kind of psychic pain. I've never really been happy. God. So, Yeah. He's, I think he's just like a tortured soul type mm-hmm. guy and just like never got over the, those two huge losses wow. in his life. Like, I mean, he has a song that, like he said, everybody knows, but it also bothers him that everybody tries to pick apart. But then it's like, well, then just tell everyone what it means and right. then everyone will go away. But like, do you owe us that? Like, do we have to know what it's about? Right, like, yeah, art is open that, to interpretation usually. Yeah, like, shouldn't you be able to keep that a secret without people like constantly something different to yeah. different people, you know? And that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So it is interesting to like read all the different. I mean, every line is picked apart, and I was like not going to do that. So I just figured I'd go with like, you know, the main the main message of the song, like the day the music died, um, bye bye Miss America pie, like goodbye, sweet, wholesome mm-hmm. America. Um, you know, pe- the saying it's like as American as apple pie, right. you know? So that's like not the case anymore, which is that a horrible thing? Like, shouldn't we be able to change and, you know, make yeah. things better? I don't know. So tacos nowadays and I will yes. over apple pie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Good guacamole. Come on. Come on. Um, so yeah, so that's I guess all I have for this song. No, it's kind of one of those things like you I could have gone so much further into it, but I figured I would just do like a surface type thing since we're doing a duet episode. But um so yeah, I didn't know, you know, how it really affected their family members. Um, and then, you know, you can watch the movie La Bamba, which I think also talks about the plane crash with 
like Richie Valens, the singer of that song. Yes. It's like so crazy to think about like if you took like the two or three most popular singers right now and they all died in a plane crash and like what that would be like, you know, that's right. This was, you know. Right. And I like I remember when Aaliyah died in a plane crash and that was like. Oh my God, all over MTV, like TRL, just like, I can just like remember the ticker going (laughs) along the bottom, like, like I can visualize it. So I'm sure this was that times three and just like affects you so much. I don't know. Mm, Yeah. It's like one of the shocking moments that it's just, you never expect to happen. So tragic, but like, you know, a song that everyone probably sings and laughs and smiles to, you know, so something good maybe, you know, after all. I do love the song. I do know every word. Like I probably messed it up when I sang it earlier. Well, I didn't really sing it. I just kind of said it. (laughs) I think you got it. Yeah. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Okay. So think a lot of people, yeah, you know, um, especially younger people probably don't know like the super tragic, sad meaning behind it so (laughs) yes okay let's get into yours I'm ready for some female power yeah so the first uh female I am doing um is Miss Carly Simon and uh the song You're So Vain I got all of my information from Wikipedia pretty much um which had a ton on this song just like over the years back and forth who is it about speculation mystery yeah that yeah that's like how the american pie one was it it was like too much i was like oh my god that's yeah, crazy exactly. like oh. i will but be i love that song. does she owe it to us some people know you know <laughs> we'll get into it <laughs> i can't wait oh gosh okay so you're so vain was written in 1971 by Carly Simon and released in November 1972. It is one of the songs which she is most identified with, and when it was released, it reached number one in the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, it's also ranked number 92 on Billboard's Greatest Songs of All Time. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, it's about a, you know, like self-absorbed lover um, that uh, she sings, you know, you're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. That's the main song that everyone. Oh, heard. So Lyric. good. I could just like jam out to this song yeah. all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Really got to get into it. I it's love it. Greatest love original it. like breakup song, you know. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, and so the subject's identity, the person that she's singing about has been, like I said, a matter of speculation for a really long time. She, Carly Simon says that it's a composite of three men, only one of whom she's actually named publicly at this point. Um, so there's a lot of speculation on, you know, who the others could still be. Um, the song actually started as a song by a different title it was called bless you ben um (laughs) and she wasn't really satisfied with her lyrics and so she kind of just put it off you know he was like okay i'll come back to that song when i'm inspired or whatever and she attended a party one night with um her friend and her friend like a famous person arrived at the party that she doesn't say who it was but her friend said that this person looked like they were walking onto a yacht which is another lyric from the 
song and that's like what inspired her to change bless you ben to you're so vain and uh, it's such a good title it's <laughs> such a good title and uh, it's so crazy because i was just looking and um american pie came out the same year as you're oh, so vain really? wow what a great which year is crazy song. yeah well because and i was saying earlier like american pie was what would be playing in my dad's car on the tape deck and you're so vain would be in my mom's car. Right. And right. so this was like, this was like their time of when they were like going through breakups and this and that. And like music means so much more to you when you like can get into like, what are these songs really saying? And like, you have so many emotions. And I feel like when I'm like 90, I'm going to be listening to Lady Gaga in my car, right? <laughs> like, right. I just feel like it was like the height of like the songwriter too. You know, like people were becoming yes. more known for that in addition just as like being good singers. So, yeah. Well, and it's like how they say whatever age you like looked, you thought you looked your best, like you will always keep like the same makeup style, the same hairstyle, right. the same clothing right. style. Like, it's like that with music too. Like you hit this point of like, that's your musical taste and you are like stuck there for the rest of your life and you'll it be listening to this true. music forever. That is very true with yeah. me. I'm like new artist who I'm watching the Grammys yeah. tonight and I'm like, no idea. I know any of these people. <laughs> Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny. Who's Bad Bunny? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, who, who, I don't know what they look like. Is it two people? Is it more? I don't know. Is it a group? <laughs> What's bad money? Exactly. I am definitely <sighs> stuck. Um, so true. So yeah, so that's how um, Your So Vain was born. Um, in 1983, Carly said that it was not about Mick Jagger, who actually contributed uncredited backup vocals to the song. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And in a 1993 book, um, Angie Bowie claimed to be the wife, claimed it to be the wife of a close friend mentioned in You're So Vain, and that Jagger, for a time, had been obsessed with her, Carly Simon. Um, but, you know, so she denied that kind of rumor. Um, Simon also made another comment about the subject's identity as a guest artist on Janet Jackson's 2001 single, Son of a Gun, I Bet You Think the Song is About You, which sampled Your yes. So right I remember um yep. and Carly Simon said about the song that the apricot scarf was worn by Nick DeBanco De, Del Banco um okay. which I'm not sure who that is but maybe someone in the music not industry familiar <laughs> yeah no, I'm sure he was like a big person at the time right Don't there's know. Like symbolism there but nothing in the words re referred to Mick Jagger so again like it's not Mick Jagger. She's putting it out there. Um, over the years, she's like dropped some hints and she has said that the subject's names um, include, or like at least one of the subject's names includes the letters A, E, and R, which is like, duh. Like, I don't know. That could be like. Uh, <laughs> every word, every name but, ever. Exactly. Um, but a lot of the speculation has been around a few men. Um, shortly before writing the song, she was married to James Taylor. And, he, um, you know, so there's speculation that it might have been about him. Uh, and she said that he is not definitely not one of the subjects of the song. Um, 
David That's Bowie. what I've heard, because I know that. Like, James Taylor is huge in the Berkshires because he performs at Tanglewood, and it's a whole thing. And, like, you have to love James Taylor if you live in the Berkshires, even though, like, I could care less about him, but, like, I guess I'm supposed to love him. But anyway, so that's what I always remember thinking, like, everybody talks about, oh, well, you're so vain. It's about him. Yeah, I've always heard that, too. And I think just because they were married, you know, um, that's the the most um, probably person that I've heard as being, like, it rumored to mm-hmm. be. Um, David Bowie, David Cassidy, and Cat Stevens have all been <gasps> speculated. Okay, I could totally see Cat Stevens, Our House, great song. God, I got to get on Spotify now. I got to listen to, like, Carly Simon Radio on Spotify. like a 1971 uh, playlist. Oh, my God, I love this for us. Oh, God. Um, Okay, so then in August of 2003, Carly Simon agreed to reveal the name of the song subject to the highest bidder of a Martha's Vineyard Possible Dreams charity auction. Um, the top was $50,000, and it went to Dick Ebersol, who was um, president of NBC Sports and a friend of Carly Simon. Um, so he's, like, oh. you know, helping his charity out. And she probably, you know, probably someone she would feel comfortable, you know, telling, too. Right. He's um, like, it's in the vault. It's in yeah. the vault. So she told it to him under the condition that he can't reveal the name. Um So I don't know if he's got like an NDA or what, but he said, Carly told me that I could offer up um, the entire world a clue um, as to what she'll tell me. Um, And the clue was the letter E is in the person's name. So, you know, like, (laughs) this is so stupid. Yeah. She also in 2004 on Regis Philbin's show that R was in it, you know? And so she's like, this one's R in honor of you. Um, (laughs) This is okay. I'm sorry. This just hit me like a literal ton of bricks. Taylor Swift thinks she's Carly Simon, right? Well, so Taylor, interesting that you bring that up. Taylor Swift does know all of the people. (gasps) She's one of the only people who knows the uh, the uh, subjects. Okay, of- because she's like, okay, you know, like, I don't want to go against the Swifties. Like, I have no, like, I'm so just neutral in this situation. But um, I know she's known for, like, dropping these Easter egg hints, mm-hmm. which I'm sure she got from Carly Simon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Pro- Carly Simon could have spelled out their whole names by this point, and we have no idea, because, like, here and there, she would just give a letter, but it's not like today, where, like, every word everybody says, like, every freaking shit somebody does is reported about. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway. I mean, it is interesting that you bring that up, and I'll get to her, because um, I think, like, okay. she, know- she knows, she's one of the people more recently, um, so in 2005, Simon's ex-husband, Jim Hart, said that he was sure the song was not about anyone famous. But in 2007, actor Warren Beatty said, let's be honest, that song was about me. Um, he and Carly Simon had a relationship. Um, and um, he had said back in 1983 that he thought it was certainly about him. And uh, he told he called Carly Simon and thanked her for the song. <laughs> No, um, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I'm done with him. And I had read, like, she has said um, only the second verse is about him because, like, it's a composite of three people. So she's confirmed that. And she's like, mm-hmm. he thinks the whole song is about him. 
wouldn't that just prove a point though you know yeah. hmm, so vain would you say would you say he's vain I don't know oh my god sad yep so she's that it's definitely been said that it's Warren Beatty and like other relationships she's evoking other relationships in her life um Howard Stern is one of the people who knows he has said that she privately revealed to him who the song was written about um in an if in um after her interview on his show um so he said there was an odd aspect to it he's not that vain <laughs> like one of the guys the second guy i guess <laughs> huh. uh, in his opinion this is, this is like too much pressure to i would not want to be a person to know this like right it gives me like anxiety just thinking about like knowing this it's such a big secret I know so she has confirmed that yes Howard Stern does know he's one of the few people um in her 2008 book Girls Like Us the author Sheila Weller includes a detailed account of Simon's love affair with musician Dan Armstrong and suggests that he was the inspiration for your so vain um you know she was heartbroken and um you know, she actually wrote a song called Dan, My Fling, which appear, appears on her first album. Um, so he already had one song about him. And Daniel Kent Armstrong has three of the letters, you know, in his name. So if you really want to stress. Oh, don't they all? <laughs> like, um, Okay, so in a November 4th, 2009 interview on WNYC, Simon said that the hidden name of the subject in... Um, a new recording of song of the, of the song was being released. Um, so she was like releasing a new version that had the like name whispered in it or something like that. And wow. the radio show's crew detected the name David in a played back whisper um, of the new version. But she then contradicted this and said that, you know, um, Ovid, the word Ovid, which I don't know what that is has anything to do with but she said that Ovid sounds like David both forwards and backwards so it doesn't like really matter which way you're playing it um oh. and so, like when all like kind of denied that it was David um but then uh. but then later on it's weird because then later on a representative for her stated that the name whispered on the song is David so there's nothing <laughs> and I know there's so much speculation. So this also could be in reference to David Geffen, which was Carly Simon's former mm -hmm. boss um, at Electra. And so I kind of like could see that even though it's her ex-husband has denied that it was about well, him. Yeah. And this is what I was thinking. Like it might be like her dad. You know, like, I don't think it necessarily has to be a love interest, right? I And that's what I was kind of thinking. It could be a composite of different vain men in her life. A boss, a lover, a, right. you know, lover. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think everybody's so obsessed with thinking that it's, like, all, like, her lovers. But no, right. like, could mm -hmm. be anyone. Yeah. So Carly's ex-husband, Jim Hart, said it's not about David Geffen. Like, all these people are speaking for her, but she's not saying anything um she said that she actually wrote the song in 1971 and she had not met david geffen yet so it probably wouldn't be about him uh -huh. but i could see right. how like different male forms in her you know life that probably were super vain in some way but yeah i don't think it has to be um you know just a love interest 
Right, right. Totally, totally, totally. Okay. Um, so Simon's publicist confirmed that the song was not about Gavin, but that there was indeed a David who was connected to the song in some way, shape, or form. Vanity Fair noted that in addition to David, Warren, and another unintelligible name are whispered during the recording. Um, at her live performance in 2013 with Carly Simon, Taylor Swift, T-Swift, who you mentioned, said... Of course, she's performing right with Carly Simon. Like you said, she wants to be her. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe she is her. I don't know. Like I said, (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Uh, She said that Carly Simon told her the identity of the song subjects um, in confidence. So she is one of the other people who knows. Um, Yeah, that's crazy. Right? Taylor Swift is carrying so many things on her shoulders. I'm just saying Taylor Swift is carrying so many things on her shoulders, her little tiny shoulders. I know. See, like, I would just, like, have a couple drinks and be like, you guys, do you want to know? Like Elaine, like Elaine on Seinfeld. Oh, you think it's in the vault? You think it's in the vault? Just give me a couple drinks. No. (laughs) Exactly. I couldn't. Um, So in November 2015, Carly Simon was promoting um, her about to be published memoirs and said, I have confirmed that the second verse is about Warren Beatty, like I said earlier, um, but he's only, you know, the subject of that verse. So that's really kind of like the only real one that's been confirmed. Um, I love the idea of like auctioning it off for charity and and stuff like that. No, I think people love a, knowing a secret like you said um and so this is like you know a famous secret which um she's keeping us guessing this day yeah so smart to do that because we're still talking about it same with american pie like john mcclean's like i'm not giving you any answers like no (laughs) buzz off and but i i love how carly simon is doing this because she's just like i'm not fucking telling you people like i don't owe you any of this like but I'll tell my friends and like people respect her obviously so much for I mean you named like a handful of people who know uh nobody said anything yeah so obviously Absolutely. like they respect her and yeah. she's just like an amazing woman so so this is a perfect segue into the famous female that I am covering yeah uh, one Aretha Franklin Claps, claps, cheers, fireworks, only. the whole shebang. And only. The one and only. Um, so she has a little little song you might have heard of called Respect. Anyone? Anyone? It is uh, like the most famous song. If you've ever been to like, I feel like this is a big like wedding song. Yeah. <laughs> like all the women are like. A spelling song. What? Who doesn't love a spelling song? Yeah. Like I know. Like yeah. Anna, if you don't know that, how to spell respect. YMCA, mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> teach me to spell. I, I see it. Yes. Aggressive. If you're a cheerleader, yeah. be aggressive. Come on. <laughs> Only reason I know how to spell aggressive. Fifth grade cheerleading. What team was that? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Fifth grade cheerleading, CYC. 
Okay. Um, okay, so I, this is not a mystery, right, of, like, the message behind this song, Respect, by Aretha Franklin. But it is, in fact, an entire journey from what Otis Redding initially intended the meaning of the song to be. Because, newsflash, Otis Redding had a song called Respect that was the basis of the famous version of Respect by Aretha Franklin. Oh, okay. I do know. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I was like, okay, I have to, like, dive into this. I mean, um, so many, yeah, there's just so many songs that have been redone that so many people, you know, don't even realize. Exactly. Um, okay, so obviously covering this because, like I said, had no idea that Otis Redding recorded this song originally. Um, if I did, totally forgot, which wouldn't be abnormal for me, <laughs> clearly. Um, okay, so I just basically wanted to share how Aretha took this song and completely turned it on its head. Okay. Uh, it. And it's it's like known as her song, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, oh yeah, gun to your head, name an Aretha Franklin song, respect. Like, right. everybody. Um, okay, so like good old Donnie McLean, who I just covered, uh, Aretha was also 24 years old when she released her rendition of the song Respect in April 1967. So we're going a little before the two songs that we just covered, mm-hmm. um, like right before. So, and 24, God, it's so, so young. I know. So, it's crazy. Insane. When I um, so before was not that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Let's tell everybody everyone what we were doing at age 24 no thanks have an explicit enough label (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i'm dead just kidding just kidding (laughs) that was that made you sound like (laughs) the worst of the worst i was like yeah you were out on the streets (laughs) that bad that was amazing oh my god (laughs) I love that so much oh my god I'm like crying okay so from the streets okay um where was I okay so 1967 okay within weeks of the release of the song respect uh it flew to number one on the billboard charts and it was basically number one for 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah. Which is a long time. That's what? Three months? Yeah. Three times yeah. four is 12. Yeah. It was also um, like where it was like, hey, women like music too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Women actually listen to music and like it too. Oh, don't get started. Like, oh, please. I'm going to get into it. Um, Okay. So. Okay. So like, regardless of like, oh my God, the song was such a hit. It quickly became um, like a rallying cry for marginalized groups. um, You know, namely 
the civil rights movement and the women's rights movement. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of them? Um, so those two movements and others, you know, along with it, but those were like the two biggest, um, basically adopted this as an anthem, um, you know, as they preached the essential message that everyone's voices deserved to be heard, which like fucking duh. Why do we have to explain that to people? Like God bless Aretha Franklin for doing it, but it's like, yeah, not her. Doesn't everyone just know this? Like, yeah, why just, does this have to be decency. a thing? Yeah, yeah, a little thing called common decency. Oh, um, but so you know, it helped these marginalized groups. Um, you know, many of them. Um, it kind of it was like their song for the movements. Um, but. Uh, backpedaling for Otis um, he had a much more like misogynistic approach to the song um, and it was basically like a song for a man in the 1950s 60s kind of era and it's it's been described as quote an upbeat version of the traditional family values of the 1950s and 1960s man works all day Man comes home for dinner and demands respect respect from his wife. It has a, quote, masculine appeal from a working man to a housewife that feels a shade misogynistic through today's lens, <laughs> which, like, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, uh-huh. I love it that does. she turned that around, like you said, flipped it on its head, knowing that that was, like, the origin and, like, how it was intended. Right. Yep. And it, it totally fits that old school view of home life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I also read that his use of the word respect was code for like sex or sexual favors. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So for, yeah, for example, the line that says, and all I'm asking, Hey, a little respect when I come home, you know, I didn't sing it, but um, so he's saying like, he wants respect when he comes home. So like I'm out working all day, um, you know, uh, you need to give me sex when I get home. <laughs> basically, is the message there, Um, you know, and it's like, you're just a housewife, you're just sitting home and relaxing all day, which, like, I roll to the back of my skull, that's not what stay-at-home moms do, okay, I can say that, Uh, but, like, everyone in the 50s and 60s were stay-at-home moms, like, it was like normal well, saying, to be a like, home respect mom. what I do, even if I am like, you know, a stay at home mom or whatever. Exactly. That's what she flipped it to be because I think she was like, and I'm, I, I'm like, I don't know if you watched that Aretha show on National Geographic. I know. It wasn't the best one they did under that genius thing. Um, but you do kind of get a glimpse into her life with her husband, Ted White, who was like also her manager. But so I think like the year before she released this, um, she was like freshly separated from him and he was allegedly like physically and verbally abusive to her. So it makes the song that much more empowering. Like when she kind of flips it around and you're just like imagining her listening to Otis Redding's version version of the song and being like, 
like you were saying, like, fuck this guy. How about you respect me? Like, can't Mm -hmm. we respect each other? Like, what the fuck? So she rearranged the music. So it's like, if you listen to the two songs, they're not the same exact song. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. she, she completely, like, rearranged the music for it and, like, added chorus and... Um, his, I guess, is like more jazzy, I guess you would say. I don't know. I'm not a music critic. Um, shocking, I know. Um, but she she made a better version and a more popular version. Um, and legend has it, Otis Redding was not happy. Yeah, the one we remember today, you know. like Yeah, nobody remembers Otis Redding's version of the song. Um, and I guess he, he like resented her for doing this um but so I mean I feel like he had changed, to like agreed to let her use the lyrics uh, well I don't know I don't know if back then you had not. to do yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah so I mean that's a whole other thing I could look into of what actually like apparently it sounds like from everything I've read about this that you could just take a song and right okay totally redo it and make it your own kind of like how sampling is a thing Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like sampling a song because it's like not exactly the same um and it's not as egregious as like uh vanilla ice's ice ice baby and queen right (laughs) (laughs) songs am i thinking of i like where what's happening um I poured more wine than I thought I did, but okay. I'll deal with that tomorrow. (laughs) I'll deal with that tomorrow. Um, Okay, so her changes in the lyrics and the production value drove Aretha Franklin's version to become an anthem for the increasingly large civil rights and women's rights movements, like I was saying before. Um, And it's a well-known fact that when Aretha was young, she toured like the country with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. Ever hear of him? Um, So it just made sense that it became like a huge song for the civil rights movement. Um, Mm -hmm. She was like, you know, I mean, I think she was like eight or something when her dad was like, sure, go ahead and leave your family and like tour the country with this group. Sure, like sounds good. but thank you also for letting her do that. <laughs> uh, and then two other little facts about the song is that it popularized the terms "sock it to me." So, you know, some people were like clutching their pearls, like "sock it to me, what? But in Detroit, like where she was living, her, you know, her sisters were her backup singers. And, um, they just, I guess, they kind of came up with, like, this is the perfect thing to kind of sing in the background. Um, and that's not in the original version, obviously, because her sisters came up with it. But um, she's like, yeah, everyone, like, in my neighborhood, this is, like, the thing to say is sock it to me. Like, a, a guy's, like, trying to pick up a girl, and she's like, sock it to me. But a lot of people think, like, oh, that's, like, a sexual thing. Like, sock it to me. Like, give it to me. But she's like Aretha Franklin's like, no, it's actually not a sexual song at all. Like she wanted to make it the opposite of it being a sexual song as Otis Redding allegedly did. Um, 
but and then they also popularized the term TCB, taking care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, take care, TCB. Sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. So, um, and you I know, we got some. Me, like words. sometimes in songs, you just say weird words that sound good. <laughs> that don't. It, it makes no it. sense. Yeah. yeah, like it just it's just for the sound of it. You know, like you doesn't have to be anything deeper sometimes. Right. Yes. No. It's so true. Yeah. But this was like, like a thing that they were saying. Yeah. 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 So they were saying this like in Detroit. It's kind of like how um, popular culture like loves to take words from um, like RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, like the gay community. And like, we we're like, yes, queen. And they're like, right. that's mm-hmm. like 20 years old. Like, come on. Like, what are you white women doing now? Like, we can't. Um, but so it was phrases like that, Sock to Me and TCB, that became popularized with Aretha Franklin's version. And it is an anthem that lives on in history. Um, I just I feel love, like... I love knowing about anytime the there's original. Yeah, yeah, because I, I really didn't know that. And we love the song. I mean, when there's a dance floor and this song comes on all the women it's like it's like a Beyonce moment if you will to put it into pop culture oh yeah so that is um I feel like we took care of the 70s I don't know what what your other song is but I know 70s like like I said we were saying like just like the height of songwriting right and like really just respecting songs for their writing and their meaning r-e-s-p-e-c-t well okay the next one my last one um i'm gonna round this out with a woman that i definitely respect uh one of my very first like oh my gosh i think cassette tapes maybe or cds like i can't remember exactly like cassette cassette, right i think so too uh anyway i'm talking about you ought to know by alanis morissette um right that let the music industry like know that oh yeah women can be angry and they like it (laughs) (laughs) what women can have feelings are you sure yes and there's a lot of speculation around who this song is about um as well because it is kind of like you know the breakup anthem um love it it's just a great one to belt out jagged little pill the the album it's on it's like in my opinion one of the best albums of all time oh um, my god I can like remember having this and Green Day yes like the two tapes like and then you open the cassette and then there's the lyrics the, the little like mm-hmm. insert has all the lyrics on it love oh my god god remember like she would say she she said things like I was at that impressionable age where I'm like she is saying stuff that like I need to know more about but I probably like my parents don't want me to know more about you know (laughs) it's forbidden right the internet is creeping in and you're gonna be able to google anything you want pretty soon so soon little Liz just wait the internet is coming This is such a time. Oh my God, this is a trip. This is you a trip. all remember it. Okay, let's get into it. So, You Ought to Know is by Canadian singer Alanis Morissette. Again, got most of my research, if not all of it, from Wikipedia. Uh, it was the lead single on her studio album, uh, Jagged Jag Little Pill, in 1995. 
Uh, after releasing two studio albums, uh, she left MCA Records Canada and was introduced to manager Scott Welch and began working on uh, new music, moving from her hometown of Ottawa to Toronto. Shout out Canada. Um, but didn't make Canada. very much progress. Um, so she then moved to L.A., and that's where she met producer Glenn Ballard, whom she wrote um, lots of songs with, including You Ought to Know. Um, so they had a good good musical relationship. Um, you Ought to Know signaled Alanis's departure from, like, bubblegum pop music because she definitely did do that, like, in her younger days coming up in the Canadian music scene. So Oh, okay. Didn't realize that. And just some old, like, early, like, you know, she would, would perform at malls, think like Tiffany and stuff like that. In Canada. Oh, my God. Yeah, which is not the Atlantis we know. So now this is, like, her departure from that and into alternative rock. Um, I didn't know this, but the track actually features guitarist Dave Navarro and bassist (gasps) Fleet from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wait, can we just reminisce about how Dave Navarro was married to Carmen Electra (laughs) and they had that show on MTV? Yeah, I mean, he was just, like, a staple of so many red carpets during this time, and it was like, I know. what are they going to wear? Speaking of awards, you know. mm-hmm. Yes, oh, my God, what a time. Sorry, I'm going to say that on yeah, repeat. That so. To remember. <laughs> Never <laughs> forget Dave Navarro on a red carpet. Um, yeah, so, okay, this song blew it out of the water and totally exceeded the label's um, expectations and received really positive reviews. Um, the What's credited with kind of its success was the LA-based modern rock radio station KROQ um, began playing it. Uh, and that's like how it kind of got to the masses. And that's inc- crazy because it's kind of like how Lizzo, oh God, what's the, I don't even remember the name of her, like, most popular song, Truth Hurts. Right, yeah. But, like, how Does she. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how she, she was singing the song for years, opening for people, like, singing this song for so long, and then all of a sudden, it becomes so popular. Like, you think of just, like, somebody releases a song, and boom, it becomes super popular, but no, only for the A-list musicians, but. We forget that, like, she was probably so sick of singing the song by the time, like, it became popular. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was everywhere, you know, at this point. And also it's crazy how much, like, radio really did influence things back then, you know, like, it, you, because you, you probably. 10 at 10. Top 10 at 10. Like. Yeah, Please. until a radio station played it, a big one, then that actually, you know, moved it into the public consciousness but um so the single reached top 10 in canada australia and the united states and had a music video that was directed by nick egan um it was added to the set list for her 1995 world tour and then um it was nominated for three grammy awards and won best rock song and best female rock uh, vocal performance so definitely acclaimed um let's see so, like, really, I mean, it just really credits this Glenn Ballard, her producer, for kind of, like, helping her get her start in L.A. and really just, like, believing in her talent. Um, you know, they wrote Jagged Little Pill together and, um, and like, 
pretty much everybody was like passing on their stuff except for a record label called Maverick Records. So again, took a chance on them. He took a chance on her, kind of talks a lot about that. Um, And she says that she wrote the song in her subconscious. She said that I wasn't aware of what was coming out of me. I'd go into the booth when the ink wasn't even dry and sing. I'd listen the next day and not really remember it. So I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. If I did that, could you imagine? (laughs) No, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's super young too. And that just seems really profound, but that's just like the kind of person she seems like she is, you know? So totally. She she seems like totally like an older soul. Like, yeah, like she's been, she's not new. She's not new as people would say. Yeah, exactly. So um, back to Dave Navarro, he says of working with um, Alanis that there were no guide tracks. They just had the vocal, um, the vocals to work from. And so basically he and Flea like jammed out until they came to like something that was, you know, they were happy with. Like they only had like the lyrics really to go off of and they built the song based on that. Oh, wow. Wow. They like built it together with her. She was happy with it, too. Um, Flea said, when I first heard the track, it had a different bassist and guitarist on it. I listened to the bass line and thought, that's some weak shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> no flash and no smash, but the vocal was strong. So I just tried to play something good. <laughs> oh my God. Is, is you're so vain about him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Some weak ass shit. Uh, let me take care of that yeah, for you. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Again, this is a big song that has a lot of big speculation. Um, is it about an ex-boyfriend, an ex-lover of Alanis Morissette's, right? It's a breakup song. She's angry. There's some very specific references in it. <laughs> yes, go on. Please detail yeah. them. Okay, so in 2008, she says, well, I've never talked about who my songs were about, and I won't, because when I write them, they're written for the sake of personal expression. So with all due respect to whoever may see themselves in my songs, and it happens all the time, I never really comment on it because I write these songs for myself, not other people. So Yeah, so I, I feel like, okay, mm-hmm. so far we've covered all, like, really amazing songwriters. Like, these aren't people who are singing other people's songs. These are people who are writing their own songs that mean a lot to them. So I don't think they really owe it to us to tell us. It's like reading somebody's diary or something like. They don't care either. (laughs) They're like, we don't care. (laughs) Yes, I know. Like, wow. I feel like they're just on such a different level than all of us plebes are. You know, like they must love seeing people just spin their wheels and like trying to figure it out. And like you were saying, writing dissertations on it. And they're like, what if they're like, it's not that deep? Like, what is that? Like, is it like that Tony Bennett song that's like, you know, Mandy that's supposedly about his dog or something like that? (laughs) I don't know. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, you idiots. This is about literally nothing. I just, or like, one other thing that I read was, um, you know, they kept coming up with Maroon 5 mm. had a song. I don't even remember. It was one of their most popular songs, but they literally only wrote it because their label was like, we need one more song by yesterday. Like, right, right. get us a song. And then so they just 
fucking make a song to just make a song and then it becomes so popular and everyone's like what does it mean what does it mean and they're like it literally means nothing we wrote it in five minutes because we were contractually obligated to yeah exactly um okay so I think probably the most uh rumored person to be associated with this song is Dave Poulier from Full House (laughs) Uncle Uh, Joey Uncle Joey stardom of Full House. That's probably where what he's most well known for. He's a Canadian actor yeah. as well. Um, what else is he known for? He's not known for anything else. That's it, right? Is he? I don't know. That's what I know him from. That's all I know him from. I don't think uh-huh. he's done anything else besides date Alanis Morissette and be on Full House and Fuller House, which my daughter watches. <laughs> So we she try. even knows, she knows who Uncle Joey is. It's insane. Um. So yeah, like you've heard that, right? That this song is about Dave. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty yeah, well that, That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he has alternatively admitted to and denied, like I said, <laughs> like, all these people like go back and forth with being the subject of the song. Um, oh my yeah. God. Like pick a point and stick with it. So in 1997, the Boston Herald reported that um, Coulier admitted the lines are very close to home, especially the one about an older version of me and bugging him in the middle of dinner. Uh, so, you know, I, everyone knows that line. She's like, you know, talks about bugging mm-hmm. in the middle of dinner. Uh, this is very interesting. Coulier's former TV co-star, the late Bob Saget, actually said in one interview that he was present when Alanis Morissette made a call to Dave Coulier during dinner and like interrupted their dinner. So, oh, interesting. Okay, have been interpretations that she talks about like his family. You know, like it's kind of like implied that there's a family dynamic um, of the man in her song that could be the Full House family. So, huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I th- I never heard heard that about Bob Saget like getting into the mix. Um, there are other celebrities who are also rumored to be um the lover in the song, which include um Mike Peluso, which is who is a hockey player for the New Jersey Devils, Matt LeBlanc, uh Joey from Friends. <laughs> no, no, I just almost literally peed my pants because it's the 90s and he appeared in the video (laughs) her video music video for her single walk away in 1991 oh my god I'm actually dead right now (laughs) (laughs) like I'm having such nostalgic shock I can't handle it Um, it could also potentially be about Leslie Howe, a musician and producer of uh, Alanis's first two albums in the early 1990s. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we said, when it was released, the song was everywhere. Maverick Records rec- uh, released Jagged Little Pill internationally in 1995. Um, and it was met with really positive reviews. Um, you know, people were praising the vengeful lyrics like I said like that they were just like this is a new moment for women in rock and it's like helping move along the fact that women can be angry and that it's okay and like you know they can be oh my god when you're PMSing like what other song do you need to listen to besides (laughs) this song (laughs) yeah you just need when you need to sing something at the top of your lungs it's always you ought to know um 
The lyrics have been praised, you know, by different places. Entertainment Weekly praised them as spiteful and seething um, in like a good way. And say, went on to state that Morissette was able to turn jealous bile into something worth hearing, you know. So it wasn't just like another breakup song. It was a lot deeper than that. Um, yeah. And it's been included um, as number 12 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 90s. And um, in 1996, the single was nominated for three Grammy Awards, which we talked about already and won those. Um, but it lost... Um, the Grammy Award for Song of the Year, like the really big award, to Seal's Kiss from a Rose. So No. I yeah. had that. I think that was a CD. Yeah. Oh, my God. Kiss from a Rose on the Batman, the Batman Forever yeah. soundtrack. Awesome. I can't. There's nothing oh more 90s than you ought to know losing to Kiss from a Rose at the Grammys. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like actually in a coma right now. A 90s coma. Um, and then you've probably heard the song covered and parod, um, you know, parodies made about it. Weird, Weird Al Yankovic has done, um, you know, a version <gasps> called. Stop! I can't, I can't yeah. physically take it. He used part of it I... the alternative polka mm-hmm, on his Stop. album, Fair Day. Stop. I am like low-key a I mean, yeah, huge he, Weird Al Yankovic fan like come it's on. an honor when he does your stuff I think oh I loved him I'm sorry but I did and I still do <laughs> yeah I think it's an honor you know um okay and then of course Britney Spears has performed this song um during her 2009 um circus tour um, and during that time of her performance, uh, the writer Mike Bruno for Entertainment Weekly wrote, she rocked it. What better way to silence the critics than to step up to the mic, say hell with it all, and spew some of that bile. Hot, confident, Britney, live vocals, a dash of rebellion. And love to see it, right? I mean, now today, knowing that Britney probably really needed that song in that moment, you know, now that we, yeah. know, everything we know now. Uh, yeah she should have it on repeat still I mean and it also like this other song I love Fiona Apple Smooth Criminal I feel like she was really mm-hmm. like I think she like was idolized by Alanis Morissette because those are like similar vibes of just like when you're fucking angry and you are a woman with a vagina <laughs> you need to just like I'm going to make like a PMS yes. playlist. Yes, absolutely. I mean, not any, whether it's PMS, whether it's stress, whether you just need to like belt it out, yeah. it's perfect. Um, yeah, you don't have to be mad. You can just need to like sing at the top of your lungs, like in your car, right. driving to work. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Lyrics are fantastic. Okay. So we're going to bring her up again as we round out this um, amazing song, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Oh, my God. She's, like, the connecting thread. Did I tell you she was um, Don McLean's girlfriend? No, just kidding. (laughs) I would not be surprised. We need to have a connection in everything. Oh, respect is about Taylor Swift. Didn't know that. Cool. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Okay. So, yeah. So, she um, performed in 2015, and she invited Alanis Morissette on stage with her in L.A. to sing her song. Um, many of her fans, you know, obviously were like born after that song had 
been released and didn't even know oh. who Alanis Morissette was. Oh, that just hurt my heart. That yeah. just literally so I have to thank Taylor for introducing her to like the next generation. Um, we'll give that to her. This is why, okay, listen, this is just like a little parental side note that please just play your children classic rock music because like now 90s music is like considered classic rock. My kids fall asleep to the classic rock station every night and they know some of the classics and our parents did, right? That's how we know these songs. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to play your kids' music in your car. Play your own goddamn music and teach these children the classics because who else is gonna do it? (laughs) It needs to live on. (sighs) Absolutely. We have a duty. Um, and then the other person teaching the youngins, the classics, is Demi Lovato, who also in 2015 performed um, with Alanis Morissette, uh, you ought to know, at the American Music Awards and had critical claimed one of the most talked about moments of the award show. Don't remember it at all, but apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? I'm just so, I'm sorry. I'm so over Demi, Demi Lovato. I know it's like a whole thing. and Oh, that's a whole other I'm just, episode. That's a whole yeah, episode. yeah. Um, but yeah that that's you ought to know I mean obviously it's very influential in my life I love that album remember it um you know as a young woman coming up um so had to you know give some props to Alanis because she's one of my faves and I really want to see that Jagged Little Pill uh, musical on Broadway (laughs) yes oh god thank you for taking us down that walk down memory lane the 90s because and I feel like this is how, like, our parents feel about those yeah. other songs we yeah. were talking about, you know? Like, they could probably tell you where they were the first time they heard the song Respect or American Pie, you know? Like, that's And I'm like, that's oh, how God, did Alana say chicken shit? That's, like, all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. Ugh. All right, I'm making a you've, – you've inspired me. Thank you. Yeah, um, wow. Listen to Jagged Little Pill. If you haven't listened in a while, if you've never listened, be prepared to yeah. get rocked. Um, yeah, right. famous- I need to go relax on my fainting couch now. <laughs> I know they're so good, right? So make a playlist. Uh, let us know what's on it. What are your like, you know, hidden meaning songs that have stuck with you forever and ever that um, have always surprised you that you think, you know, not a lot of people know about. Um, we would love to hear it. And let us know what your favorite moments from the Grammys were. Are you into the awards season this year? Are you over it? I want to know. I know. Yeah, we do. We want to know. We want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that note, on that note. Oh my God. <laughs> Don't get me starting to sing. Um, Thank you for listening. If anyone's still listening, let us know. <laughs> um, love you so much. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. <laughs>